Hi, and welcome to Season 2 of Big Sound Small Town, the podcast that spotlights the talented and diverse musicians in small towns and communities. This season, we're branching out to include the community of people who make it possible for musicians to be able to perform their music, the producers, the recording engineers, the venue owners, and many others, and as always, the small town musicians. Remember, small town doesn't mean small talent. Hear their stories. Drive on 
Today on Big Sound Small Town, I'm in the pink room of the Big Bass Studio, and my guest is freelance bassist, multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, and educator, Kim France. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. So, um, I know that you uh, are working with so many acts that it's hard to keep um, it's really hard to figure out which ones they are. So why don't you just start off by telling everyone who you're playing with these days prior to the quarantine. Well, yeah, prior, prior to the COVID-19 shutdown. Right. Um, I've been playing with Aaron Burdett, a songwriter out of Saluda, quite a bit. And um, we've been recording some new tracks which is pretty exciting. We were set to go in the studio in April. I, I don't know if that'll still happen, but I keep pretty busy with Aaron and then also with the Johnson City Symphony Orchestra and um, and Molasses Creek also from um, from out on Ocracoke Island. Uh, I've got a bunch of other small projects around Boone that I do, like the Mercury Games, and we do vintage vocal harmony stuff sort of like the andrews sisters oh that's cool and uh and so and a little bit of jazz here and there but primarily aaron burdett and the jump city symphony this time of year okay um let's start then with aaron um i i have i have heard you guys and seen you guys so i i, I know what you do but describe what it is that goes on there and, and what your role is there songwriter and he is a pretty prolific songwriter in my opinion he is he is very much so i agree yeah he he spins them out and and they're fabulous and they're deep and they make the audience cry and when he sends me a track sometimes it makes me cry uh, i understand <laughs> he's just, yeah he's, he's very uh deep intuitive emotional songwriter but um yeah, so his style, I guess you would call it, I mean, we've struggled to find a, uh, the right genre for it. It's, it's Americana, it's um, working man, singer-songwriter stuff. It's, it's not bluegrass, although we are leaning toward the bluegrass instrumentation these days because it seems to showcase the songs in the best way. Yeah, I, I, I think... It's, it's easier to travel that way. Well, I thought I saw you guys with a um, mandolin player. Are, are you working as a trio or, or, or duo? We're working as a trio, um, and occasionally Aaron and I will do stuff as a duo. When Daniel Olam, who is our, our mandolin player, 
as of, gosh, he's been with us a few months now, um, if he's not available or if it's um, a smaller uh, right. you know, oh, yeah. show, then yeah, I do. two people. Sure. The band I'm in, we go and uh, it can go as a whole band or as it can go as individuals or duos or trios. There's a lot of ways, depending on the money. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, well, we were doing that for a long time, sort of coming with different combinations. And he used to play with a full electric band with uh, pedal steel, right. drums, and uh, electric bass. Yeah. And um, the powers that be in the in the record company office just really encouraged us to get the same the same combo out there every time and to and to focus on the acoustic uh trio for yeah, now i was getting ready that was one of the things i was asking you were you playing were you and he playing um electric at all in the shows i mean I've, uh, we I've, have okay it's sort of been a mix of, of both until recently and, and now it's pretty much the acoustic stuff it's funny he and i met i mean we met years ago because he lived in in boone um and i i've been living in boone and splitting my time between there and Ocracoke island uh for the past six years but um he was invited to play at the ochre folk music festival and i played down there with molasses creek and um he he needed a bass player and uh <laughs> so our old buddy uh brian swank who was a banjo player from boss hub back in the day right uh bluegrass band i played with ages ago up in in boone um gave him my number and so we met the the day of or the day before we stepped on the festival stage and I he sent me a lot of recordings of his songs and I basically learned the stuff and then we had one rehearsal and then we got on stage and it, it really clicked. Oh that's so good. We've been together ever since. <laughs> that's good. That's a good thing then. I I mean I like what you guys are doing. I was impressed enough and I was impressed enough with uh your playing and singing to seek you out. So I mean uh call that a bass player in me i don't know um but uh i was in, i was impressed i and i heard you guys also or and saw it uh at wncw so yes oh man well they have they have a great tube preamp in that studio they do i agree made, made my bass sound amazing <laughs> I, I i totally agree that uh it's come so long i i I did some of the first stuff in WNCW, and to see where it is now is just totally insane. I mean, it's really grown. The Studio B has really grown over the years. Yeah. Well, we, that was a really good – turned out to be a really good show for us, and obviously playing on WNCW is good for, for anybody's publicity, sure. but a lot, a lot of people saw that and have reached out to me since um, because they, they managed to catch that yeah. interview. Yeah. I, I agree. It was it was it was really really good. It was one of my most enjoyable there in a while. I, I really thought it was a really fine interview, and and you guys played great. Uh, it's the trio. I think were, it were, sure was working there when I saw you guys. The trio worked really well. In fact, it, it seems to be working really well, and I think we're all we did a little. We did two. We've done two mini tours now. The first one was sort of a get-to-know-each-other run, and we went down to Florida and played a few shows. And then we did a little, another little mini-tour in Eastern Carolina, New Bern, Beaufort, um, and Fulter Pass. And uh, it kind of started to, it started to really click after. And there, it, we, 
they're great to travel with too. So that's that's lovely. That's a big yeah. part of oh yeah. It is. Staying healthy and staying together is just being good good people to be with on the road. And and both Daniel and Aaron are just fabulous. Well, I I thought the. I actually like the version of Let's Take a Rockefeller. Uh, I like that better without the banjo, but that's just me. You know, I, I, uh, I can't believe you're saying that. I, particularly where I live. I mean, this is Cleveland County. Uh, I'll probably, some, something will strike me down probably before this day is over because I did right, not. It's, it's almost I, blasphemous to say it, anything. It is. Oh, it really is. Uh, but that I think the reason I will tell you that is you support it really well without that having to be there. Um, well, that's great because the banjo is such a it's such a unique instrument. It is a driving force, and it's such a presence in that song. Yeah, that, yeah, um, it I've is. Been a, I've been a little worried about how it would come off without us having a banjo player on stage with us. Actually, it's kind of a cooler song without it because it kind of takes the it, it knocks it a little past bluegrass and maybe more towards um americana i don't know that that's a good or a bad thing it just changes the way the song sounds to me personally it, you know it's it's like uh one edge is towards bluegrass and the other edge is towards maybe more americana i don't know i was wondering what genre you were going to come up with because that's not I don't know. something we struggle with a little bit. Yeah, Americana is such a broad term, um, which is great because then we know that we actually fit in that category, but it's it <laughs> is. a subcategory. I'm not sure what it is. I used to have a band and we called what we did Rural Alternative, which was oh, the best. Oh, that's creative. Band. I like that. And it kind of, that is what I would call what you guys are is Rural Alternative, uh, which is, it's not bluegrass. It's it's an alternative to country, to bluegrass, even to Americana. So it's a pretty cool sound. All right, let's take on another gig you've got going on. Uh, <laughs> let's go to the next one that you were doing this time of year. Let's go to Johnson okay. City. Johnson City Symphony Orchestra. Um, I I think it's been about ten years I've been playing with the orchestra over there. I'd have to look. It's it's always surprises me how long it, it's been. Um, and we had a well, we had two concerts this month that, that got canceled and one next month that won't be happening. So our season is, this season is over. Right. And I guess we'll pick it, pick it back up in uh, April. But, is that one, that's not what I meant to say. Pick it back up in September. Okay. September is when our, our season starts for next year. But, um, it's, I love playing with that orchestra. Um, the conductor, Robert Seabacher, is just super passionate and, and picks great material. And, and I, love, I love classical music. There is nothing so moving as playing with all those other people on the stage and, and that enormous sound and the complexity of the music. Uh, of these composers, it's just it's just mind blowing, and it's fill it just fills me. I understand you know, that. emotion yes. to to play with um, with an orchestra like that, and then of course, if you're you know if you're a bass player and a lover of the sound of the bass, there's nothing better than four basses playing together. You know, with, with bows, and that it's just it's just so I just love it. We were getting ready to play. Mendelssohn's uh, Scottish Symphony. <laughs> We're doing this, this next 
concert was going to be a, a Scotland theme, and uh, we were going to do Scottish fantasy and, and a piece with a bagpiper, and so I was really bummed that it didn't, didn't happen, but it was also some of the hardest music that I was going to have to practice well, uh, this year, so... Um, now maybe we'll get to perform those pieces next year and there's more time to work on them. Well, yeah, they, I mean, I guess that is true. And how often would you have to, to rehearse with this simply? Well, so our season is usually, we usually do approximately one concert a month between September and, um, and April. So sometimes we have like a, an extra concert in there. We'll do, um, you know, a Pops concert outdoors, our first right. concert of the season is an sure. outdoor uh, Pops thing, which is more, a lot of patriotic songs that everybody's familiar with, right. and, uh, and then we do a, another Pops concert with a guest artist at the end of the season, um, and we had Bella Flex has, has played, we did Bella Flex. Yeah, that's cool. Band, I can't remember the name of the piece off the top of my head. And Mark O'Connor's double fiddle concerto. Oh yeah. So we've we've had some stellar guests that um, and we've had John Pizzarelli, who's a, a yeah, jazz um, guitarist and singer. Yeah. Um, so we've had some amazing guests on this come through, and yeah. that, that gets us out of just the strictly classical genre into some new territory, which is pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. But we will do we'll do one concert a month. Um, and our rehearsal cycle is basically we, we get together on Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday for rehearsals, and then we put the concert on on Saturday night. Okay. Um, and so basically we, we have a, a rehearsal cycle, but the idea is that everybody has the music ahead of time and comes prepared, prepared yeah. mm-hmm. to play it. Yeah. That's good. Um, and so that, that pre- preparation time for me is pretty intense. Because I started playing music a lot later in life than most of my colleagues did, so what might be second nature to them is is an awful lot of work and woodshedding for me. Um, but at the same time, I think that it, I, I was going to say that might increase my appreciation of it. But I know that everybody in that orchestra loves what they do. Oh yeah, <laughs> so. oh that's that is one of the the premier jobs that you could ever have, I, I think is, um, yeah, those are wonderful without a doubt. Well, that's, that's, okay. you, you know, um, we're going to, we're going to come, we're going to take a break here. Cause I got some questions for you. Okay. All right. I'm back with Kim France and, she says she came late. Now here she is playing classical music, yet on on uh, double bass. Yet she claims she came to music late in life. So, all right, Kim, tell me about it. <laughs> well, so I, I I started playing bass um, when I was getting ready to turn thirty. It was about the eve of my thirtieth birthday when I when I got my first upright bass and it was a loner um and it belonged to a friend of mine who played in a band and uh and I had a banjo I had been working on learning to play banjo and guitar uh for a few years prior to that and uh I traded I let him borrow my banjo and he let me borrow his bass and 
I went looking, I had just moved back to Boone, and I went looking around for um, jobs, and I wanted to work in music somehow, and I um, ended up just through walking into music shops and asking people about employment, uh, met Barry Sauls, who needed a bass player, and said, do you, do you play bass? And I said, well, not really, but I've got one. And he <laughs> said, well, how about you join us at uh, our, our weekly gig on, on Thursday night, and uh, and we'll see if you fit. And I was absolutely terrified, because I had no idea what I was doing. But I went, and I guess I did okay, because they were like, that was fabulous. You're our, you're our new bass player. Wow. I've, I've been playing bass full-time ever since then. But prior to that, a few years before that, um, when I was uh, probably about 26, um, I started playing guitar. And I've known from the time I was a little kid that I, I loved music. Right. And I really, really, my parents took me to see a lot of uh, classical music. Sure. Um, I grew up in Ohio, and we went to see the Cleveland Symphony Orchestra. Uh, and I remember being mesmerized by the violin they all like moved in synchronicity and yeah. I just loved the stringed instruments and I, I really wanted to play um, I finally convinced them to let me take a, a piano lessons so I did I did take two years of piano as, as a, a girl because um, I just knew I wanted to learn music and so I taught myself to play Yankee Doodle on the piano uh, <laughs> And then I took I took about two years of piano lessons and hated every minute of it and uh, and quit and and so I and then I wanted to play cello and they said well you no and then I wanted to play guitar and they said no you can't have one you got you had your chance with that piano and if you don't sit down and play that piano you're not getting another instrument so wow. I didn't and I didn't pick up music again uh, that was probably about age eleven I think I took piano when I was ten and eleven. Which is, I'm sure the little bit I did for those two years helped me a lot later on. I'm sure, particularly um, with the reading, I'm sure it did. Yeah, with the, I was never very good at the reading, though. Um, <laughs> I always would hear the stuff and, and try to memorize, memorize it. Memorize it, yeah. was mm-hmm. instantly frustrated with me. And so I didn't really, you know, there were about five notes on the staff that I was familiar with. And if you got outside those five notes, <laughs> I didn't do too well. But, uh... <laughs> But, so I didn't really pick up music again until I was uh, about 26, and I was living out on Ocracoke Island, and I had a, a, there's this group of friends that would sit together in, in the yard of the Ocracoke Coffee Company and play bluegrass, and uh, I was just mesmerized by that, too, and, and the, the way that, you know, when they were in it, they were just, you know, it was, it was, tra- it transported you to another world, and I decided I wanted to play guitar, and um, and so somewhere around that time, I had gone on a hitchhiking trip, uh, sort of a self-discovery or vision quest or whatever you might, what have you, and I took it off by myself, which was uh, something I did then and would never do again, but I, I did it when I was young, younger and dumber. Um, but uh, I went around North Carolina and Virginia, and everybody that picked me up happened to be a musician. That's too cool. Yeah, down to the, the guy, the truck driver, driving the 18-wheeler who played the didgeridoo. Now, how, now so, uh, what do you think the chances of, how many truck drivers do you think do that? <laughs> Not many. <laughs> I mean, You're right. Uh, it, was, it was crazy. I mean, it was just, it was insane that, you know, 
Um, and so I considered that like a divine sign. And sure. I did save up, and I got myself a used Yamaha guitar. I think I paid $150 for my first guitar, and at the time it felt like thousands. Yeah, you know? yeah, I do. And know. then uh, I, I saved up, and I bought a car to the, for about 1200 bucks, and that felt enormous too. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and then I <laughs> put the car, uh, the guitar in the car and, and, and drove to New Orleans. What? Um, what I drove to New Orleans? Friends. You drove to New I Orleans from to the blues. Okay. Just, you know, yeah, you know I do. how many songs there are where people the, New Orleans is, is the subject matter of so much songwriting. I agree totally. And something about it. It called to me and I said, Well that must be where I, I need to go. Um It's a musically so it's a good place. Knowing a soul. You're you're brave. I will I will give you that. You're brave. Or adventure, yeah. we'll call it, well, we'll call it adventuresome. So. Yeah, it's definitely a, a that, and it was an adventure. So I drove into New Orleans, I got there late one night, and I had, I had an old friend who was living uh, outside of Jackson, Mississippi, and I stopped there, and then I, I drove into New Orleans, um, and, and just, I thought I was going to be able to find a boarding house. I don't know what century I thought I was living in, but I thought, surely, you know, there's a boarding house, and I can just go rent a room for, for no, next to nothing and, and get on my feet and find a job. Well, such a thing didn't exist. So I went to all the coffee shops I got. This is back in the days of newspaper and before cell phones, and um, I, I met people. I, I asked about places to rent, and I had the hardest time finding a place and uh i got pretty discouraged i drove back up to uh my friend's place in mississippi which was in camped out in the state forest there and got my guts up and went back down and tried again and um in a few days I, I you know i was back down there and i was standing in line in this coffee shop asking the people behind the counter if they knew of a place where i could rent a room and the woman in, in front of me in line turned around and said, you know, I've got a room coming available in my house in uh, just a few days. Uh, if you want to stay on the couch until then, you can have it. So wow. The, the fellow that was renting that room uh, moved out and I moved into his room and he was a, he was a heavy smoker. He was <laughs> smoking inside that bedroom for a really long time. So <laughs> I painted it. I cleaned it. I bleached the walls and uh, I <laughs> This was back in the day when I didn't have any money. I found a futon mattress on the side of the road, <laughs> and I found a little a little table and a little chair in somebody's trash out on I can't remember what street it was, uh, and and brought it home. And there were there were my furnishings. So I sat at that little table for the next six months and taught myself to play guitar out of a book with a tape. That's <laughs> a tape crazy. Player. That's, were you finding jobs, or were you just sitting in there playing for the most part? I did find a job. I found a job at, uh, it was called Rue de la Course uh, Coffee Shop on Magazine Street. And the house, the place I found to rent, was, it was beautiful. I was so lucky. Um, it was a, a house in the Garden District. Oh, it yeah. It was one of the most beautiful sections of the Garden District, but it was like the the most run-down house part in of the yeah. neighborhood. So, so the um, the rent was still affordable, and there were three of us living there. And I had a beautiful room that opened onto a little courtyard, and uh, 
and I could walk. I could walk to the coffee shop to work. I didn't. I barely made enough to eat. Um, and <laughs> it's funny because you know everybody's got to run on toilet paper now because yes. we have the COVID nineteen thing. Right. I, I mean, I was too poor to buy toilet paper back then, <laughs> so I would get old newspapers and bring them home. We had a stack of newspapers in the toilet in the bathroom. <laughs> So, so this is nothing new to you. <laughs> no, I feel like I'm prepared. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're prepared. All right. Uh, did you get to play music while you were there? No. So, I mean, I, mean, I played music in my room. Right, um, but just in your room. Morning, right. I was a, a brand new beginner, and I would love to go back. I've thought many, many times about moving back to New Orleans since, now that I'm playing bass and I play more jazz and I love the style of music. I've been back to visit. I I did go uh, to a jazz education network, Gen, a Gen conference there uh, a few years ago uh, with some of the faculty and students from App State University. And that was great. Um, We didn't bring my bass, of course, because there's a bunch of us in the band. Oh, yeah. I do. not the easiest thing to be and around, but um, yeah, so I didn't really get to play much. I did go down to the French Quarter. I had a little, little routine uh, on Sundays. I would I would hop on the St. Charles streetcar and, and ride down to the French Quarter and just wander around and let myself be inspired because there were musicians on every street corner. Sweet. There were crazy little voodoo shops where they had like snake skins and incense. And, I yeah. Mean, the French Quarter was amazing, and then I'd, I'd go out and listen to music, and I would usually, I mean, you could stay out till dawn in New Orleans and not realize that time had passed, and suddenly the sun's coming up, and they're they're hosing down the street. Sure. You know? I do. It's, it's just amazing. Um, so I, did, I, I took my guitar out a couple times and would play with, if I met a street musician, I met this one guy who was... He would stand on a milk crate, and he had a, a two strings on his guitar, but he was amazing. He played blues, and he, I don't think he had enough money to buy strings, um, and I went and played with him a couple times, but mostly I was in, in my bedroom practicing. Right, practicing. Yeah, I mean, everybody yeah. has to woodshed and do that at some point in their life. I mean, there's no doubt about that, but you, you actually got yeah. to do it in a really cool music city. I mean, as a band... You can work there four different places in a day. You know, I mean, you can work. Oh, I know. You know, you can work from lunchtime to to breakfast, and yeah. and, and play four different places. So, I mean, it's it's or five, depending on how hard you want to work. I mean, it is an amazing right. music some place. Of the street musicians make oh, a really good living too. I agree. I mean, yep. it's a. North Carolina's version of that is a it's it's a low rent version, but uh, it's uh, some of the buskers in Asheville. You know, some of those right. people can do pretty well, but it's not New Orleans by any means. No, no, it's not New Orleans. Is, I mean, that's what a lot of people. I think a lot of the tourists go down. Well, they go down there for all kinds of reasons, but that's just one of the draws. Sure, it is. Fabulous. It is. Fabulous musicians. Fabulous. With so much soul. You're right. Uh-huh. On every street corner. Plus, I remember when I lived there, I had left um, I left to go up to visit my friends in, in Mississippi, I don't know, for the weekend or something, and I was coming back. And this was a, this was typical. You would be driving back into New Orleans, you cross the bridge, you get into town, 
And then suddenly traffic is halted because there's uh, the second line of the funeral yeah. procession. I love the second line. Everybody's in the streets mm. playing music. It's just, there's no one like it on Earth. It's there's just, not. Uh, still has a, a very special place in my heart. I, I love, I love that town. <laughs> Oh, plus we didn't even. We're not even going to talk about the food. <laughs> oh yeah. But, well, when I lived there, I was too poor to buy oh. uh, much of anything. But when I went back to visit after I moved away, I ate a lot better. <laughs> when I lived there. So, so how long did you stay there? Unfortunately, I was only there for it was somewhere between six and eight months, and uh, and I wish I had. I kind of wish I had stayed, but um, I met. <laughs> I met this young man who convinced me that we were going to start a band and, and tour the United States and um, never, never listen to a young man who tries to woo you away. I, I agree. I mean, I, I, listen, we can say we can say this, the two of us, but just don't get involved with a musician at all. <laughs> I mean, I mean, male, male or female, it works both ways. Just, just don't. I mean, yeah, I've been, I've been told. <laughs> you know, just don't do it. So. Yeah. So, so I was stars in my eyes of, of of a musical future. You know. Right. Gave up my prime prime living situation in New Orleans <laughs> and, and went um traveled with this guy for just a little bit before it became absolutely clear that he was very much not that he wasn't nearly as interested in making music as he was other things and that oh. was not in my agenda right gotcha so, and so after that i unfortunately i didn't have my place in new orleans they had a they had a new roommate and i, I just went back to ochre and i uh, started and continued playing music on, on ochre coat from there okay yeah and and that's where i met um john davis and mark shimmick and kevin king yeah who who had a little band? Those those fellas. I'm sure you know some of those names. I know um, Mark. I know Mark. Yeah. Yeah, and so they're they were all down on Ogrecoke for the summer, coming down from Boone, and uh, they had got themselves a little house gig at the Jolly Roger, and uh, the Jolly Roger has a like they they got a marina and a, right. a more restaurant, and then across the road they the owners at that time owned the um, Silver Lake Motel. So they gave them a room and, a, and a, a gig every night of the week except Sunday. And so I started playing with with those guys a lot. Those are good and, people um, to play with when you're starting out. That would be excellent people to play with. Yeah, and so and they were, so we were so we were so young, <laughs> and but we had so much fun partying and playing music. And we I mean we played music all day long. Yeah, we would go out and we would we would play for tips. You know during the lunch hour and then they would have their their nightly gig and they would let me sit in pretty much whenever I wanted to and then we would all go out to the beach and play music at, at night on the beach you know with hippies going skinny dipping in the water and people drinking cheap beer yeah. and, you know plus, plus <laughs> we it's had a, we had a ball. plus it's okra coke which has its own cool beside New Orleans I mean it has its own own cool niche too I mean it's okra coke Oh, yeah. And so, so then I started playing music with those guys, and um, they're, they're the reason I ended up moving up to Boone. Um, 
because I just loved playing with him so much, and I, I wanted to keep playing with him. So I, I well, first I went to Asheville. I met a lot of musicians from the Asheville area too, and I I went and moved there for a couple months, and it just didn't it didn't fit me as well as, as Boone did. I like the smaller town. Sure, I do. Um, so I moved not into Boone proper, but we had a little farmhouse um, way outside, that in the kind of in the sticks, uh, sort of near the border of Tennessee. And uh, moved up there, lived in this little farmhouse, and continued to play music. And at that point, mostly bluegrass, you know. Right. And that's what that's what those guys were playing. So, at what point did you move to bass among this? So, <laughs> um, well, a few years down the road after that, like uh, so, I moved to and This was in '99, and I was playing guitar, and and then about 2001, I think it was, I. I went up to Maine to visit a friend of mine from Ocracoke who um, moved back to her home state. And I went to visit her because she was, she was having a baby. And I drove up there, and I didn't come back for two years. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I, I met a guy and, and, and fell in love, if you want to call it that, and, uh, and I ended up staying in Portland, Maine for two years and, and played in a bluegrass band there called the Hackstaws. And I played guitar with, with them, and and then I missed I missed Sugar Grove, and and the I, I just longed for the mountains outside of Boone. Like the, this place is the, near and dear to my heart, and I, I missed it like crazy. But I was up there going to these bluegrass festivals with my band and stuff, and uh, we went to this one. Uh, I think it was Thomas Point Beach Bluegrass Festival, and I had a wash tub bass that I had been playing that I had put together with, a, you know, a broomstick, sure, and a I... piece of the clothesline, and a big old wash tub. Yep. And uh, I took it out to this festival, and I was hauling it around to different campsites, and we're playing music and stuff. And um, and uh, I noticed that whenever I would sit and watch a jam, I was always mesmerized by the bass players. I mean, I was just. I was enraptured by the bass player, <laughs> and uh, and I, so I sort of realized that, that I guess I, I I really wanted to play the bass, and um, so that wash tub I had I let people play it because you know it's just a wash tub. It's sure. not like lending out your fine instrument. So right. That wash tub made its rounds, and it never came back. Like the, my friend and I said, oh yeah, go take it to that jam, and they lost it, and I never saw it again. And it was right after that that I moved. I moved back to North Carolina, and um, that's when um, I exchanged instruments with my friend. I I've been taking banjo lessons right. up in Maine, and um, working on like Bella Fleck tunes and stuff. Not play, I played a couple of them okay. Yeah, that's good. Um, but uh, I can't play the banjo worth a darn now. I haven't picked it up in, in ages. But I, I get you know I moved back to Sugar Grove and. I had this friend who had an upright bass that he let me borrow, and I let him borrow my banjo, and then before I knew it, I had gigs. Um, it was just, you know, they tell you everybody needs a bass player. True. <laughs> well, I mean, that is true because I've been, technically, I'm a fiddler, but you know when, if you're in, say, a bluegrass band, well, if you if you lose a bass player, you don't have to have that fiddle player, so... Guess what? You got to have that bass player. So I've been a reluctant bass player most of my career. So I do understand that. that I mean, it's an easy way to work. That's for sure. It, it is an easy way to work, and it's sort of 
I had a friend up in Maine. I remember when I was still playing guitar, but was interested in bass. And he said, if you start playing bass, you'll never play that guitar again because everybody will want you to play bass. This is true. <laughs> this is true. And it's kind of true. And, I mean, and once you learn to I, play, if you're an upright bass player, you can play forever. I don't know if you can make any money, but you can play forever. <laughs> yeah, as long as your as long as your joints hold up again. True. Yeah. True. Um so I did yeah, I started playing bass and I, I, I think I mentioned that uh, I went I moved back to Boone and I went out looking for work and uh Brian Swank reminded me of this the other day and I don't even remember saying this, but uh I had I had gone out looking for, for jobs, and I'd gone into the music shops and stuff, and I went into this one shop, Barry Falls owned it, called the Mountain Pirate in Boone. And uh, I, I guess I went in and said, I'm looking for an earn-to-learn kind of situation. And Brian said, boy, that takes balls. I can't believe really? you said that. That's what I'm and, thinking, uh, too. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I had I had worked on a construction crew while I was up in, in Maine, actually, and it was sort of a similar thing, like I wanted to learn how to build houses, and I thought, well, I yeah. mean, somebody will hire me, and I can learn how to True. build things while I'm getting paid, and, yeah. and I did. Um, but uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to learn more about music, and I wanted to be doing something in the industry, and I, I knew I was a hard worker, so I you know, went out looking for a job, and that's when Barry said, well, can you play bass? And I said, well, I, I mean, not really, but I, I have one at my house, <laughs> and that's when he invited me out to the to play their weekly gig with them, and then you know it was one and done. I was I was a member of the band after that, and have been playing bass uh, ever since, full time, pretty much. That's so that's fabulous. I mean that <laughs> that that's an excellent story. How you got how you got there? Now I I guess it's that crazy. yeah, that's crazy. That's it's great story. I love a story, you know, and that's a great one. So so now I mean. I guess you just woodshedded and learned by experience, hands-on type deal, right? Well, yeah, I started out with, well, what, so I played guitar for like four four years, five years, probably four or five years, somewhere in there at that point. And for me, like, going from guitar to bass seemed really, seemed easy to me. Yeah, know? it does. Yeah, and, I agree. You know, you already know where, what the notes are. It's right. just a matter of how far apart they are. And honestly, that construction experience, I think, helps me with strong the hands. Of like, well, that and also knowing like, okay, so here's where your, your, you know, your G note is, you know, what related to the guitar, how much further apart is that A on, on the E string? And True. it's sort of, I don't know, it was a spatial thing. And I thought, well, yeah, it's just the same thing. It's just bigger. Um, so, yeah, I started playing bass and uh, ended up playing, reconnecting with John, John John Davis and Mark Schimmick and, um, and playing with them because they always wanted me to play bass back in the day on Overcoat. I, I told them, I was like, I can't afford to buy a bass. Right. So, so no. Um, and I had, yeah, I did. I borrowed a bass when I, when I was back in Boone for, for most of my gigs for a few months. And then I financed my first K. I got a 1967 K, and I bought it from uh, Bob Beerman. Yeah, 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 I know Bob. Resource. Sure. Yeah. Bob's repaired yeah, my uprights. So, when I break them, he, he repairs them. He's a good guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, so I bought my first K uh, from him, and it was it was more than I'd spent on anything in my life at that point. Yeah, I'm I sure. never bought a car that cost that much, or you know, my first guitars. I, I traded up right through the you know you get a guitar and then you trade it in and get something a little bit better every time. Sure. Um, and I just about had a heart attack when I when I spent the money on that bass, but honestly, it paid for itself. Uh, fairly quickly, yes. and I was able to, to pay off the note, you know. Right. And um, are you yeah. are you and still playing that so bass? I, I learned. I'm still playing it. Yep. Yeah. And that's the one I play when I do bluegrass or jazz or when I play with Darren Burnett. And I recently got a, a carved bass for using with the orchestra. Yeah, with the orchestra. Yeah. That's why. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I play a. a a 50, 1950 upright bass, and I'm in K, and I, I love it. It works for nearly everything I do that's acoustic. Yeah, so, I mean, it's I, great. I, I call it the Ford truck. Yeah, they are. Of, um, of bases. It's a hard worker, and it's tough, and yep. it will yeah. go the distance. Yeah, they will. I mean, they're they're wonderful. I, I, I'm the same way. I totally believe in them. Uh, actually, yeah. while we're on that, do, when, when you play with Aaron... Are are you running straight acoustic, or do you use do you have a pickup on your bass? I do. I have a pickup. Um, I use a David Gage Realist. Yeah, that's and what I use. I'm currently using a Mark Bass amp, so I usually run through the amp and then run a line out from the amp. Yeah. But I have dis- I have discovered that I am ultra picky about tone, and <laughs> with my bass and that pickup, the Mark Bass sounds great on my if I play electric bass, but right. if I'm playing you know, upright. I'm not. I'm not big in the. T- I'm still looking for for the right tone. And uh, if you I've it, tried out acoustic image amps. I've tried out. I think Dalian Kruger is is the one I like the best so far. But if you it's get always a combination of the bass and the pickup and the amp. Yeah. Right. If you get a chance at some point, uh, and can try out an Aguilar, that's what I use, and I'm a real believer in them because I play with a. 500 watt head that weighs two pounds and my cabinet weighs 10 pounds uh and it works for any job they're light my tone is great and the tone from my amp works whether it is an upright bass or an electric bass it's so good what aguilar what's, what's, what's amp head are you using I, i'm do power hammer 500 Power Hammer 500? Yep. Yep. It's two. All right. I'll look into it. Two. I've, I've, been, I've been trying stuff out and searching for the, for the right time for a while. And you're not the first person. Anybody that's an Aguilar person is, is 100% like, it's, that's what they do. Yep. I <laughs> agree. So, so, it's one I haven't tried yet. I'll, I'll definitely give it a shot. It works so good. Also, we, we, uh, when we run the, the show live that we do at the Earl Scruggs Center, I've had a lot of different people because it's small. I've let so many different musicians play with it. And despite the style or the instrument that they run, the bass that they run through it, the sound is really good. <laughs> so, and, and it captures and, that and top, upright tone, yep. which is so hard yep. to get. Yep. Okay. And I'm, tone is everything to me. I can take almost a crappy player with good tone as opposed to a really fabulous player with bad tone. So, Agreed. so it's something, to, it's something to look into. I mean, it works 
it works for my stuff. I don't, I'm not sure it will for yours, but that is one of the things that I, I will have to say. They might tell me that I suck as a bass player, but nobody ever tells me I have bad tone. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish there was a place. It's hard to find. Um, oh, it is. Yeah, I got to drive. I got to drive a good ways to get to a shop where I can test out different bass amps. So it's a, uh, I would love to have a fold neck bass, tell you the truth. Uh, a neck a folding neck bass? Yes. Is that what you said? Yes, a folding neck bass. I actually bought one of those recently, I, 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 and, and then I flipped out and was like, I, this isn't, well, basically, it was too heavy. Once I, I got uh, that, and I got a flight case. Oh, and, um, with nope. the idea that Aaron and I are going to be flying a lot more, right. and I was going to need something when we went out west to Colorado and and in that region, and then I I realized that if I had to wrestle with that thing in an airport, I um, agree, <laughs> it was going to be just too much. So I think I'm going to end up going with a an electric upright. But, yeah, I think but it, it was. It's a great idea if you're strong enough and you don't have a lot of other. Crap to wrestle with. <laughs> yeah, you just talked me out of it. So, uh, if that's the case, I'll just play my electric bass. I mean, you know, yeah, it's uh. Well, then you gotta worry about it too, because true. Oh, I worry. I, don't know if you've... I worry about mine yeah. all the time. I mean, even when I, even when I, I'm handling it, I worry about it much less someone else handling it. So, right, and airline personnel. Oh. And uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I decided it wasn't quite the right thing for me, but I understand where you're coming from. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, the Jenny Kill, I guess Jenny Kill has it down right. I mean, she's adapted to 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 a basic electric upright, um, but I, 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 you know, my suggestion is maybe I'll maybe I'll rent something if I go out west, uh, an upright base of some type. <laughs> yeah. And if you, it depends on where you where you are and where you land when true. you get out there. Uh, probably the availability of this is of true. Base to rent. Yeah, if you're in Denver, there should be no problem. You get right. to, you get to tell your ride, and you got no choice whatsoever. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, I mean it's kind of like Boone. It, you, you can't go find an upright base just every day to rent in Boone. Well, maybe because of the school, maybe you can, but. Uh, oh, I've, I've, it's not that, must not be that easy because I've had people from the school call me and ask if they could rent mine. Oh, okay. Uh, when right. they've had a guest artist coming. Oh, well, we shot that down then. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say no because I needed to play it that right. weekend. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, i tell you what now. Okay, let's go ahead and touch on the other stuff. You have a couple of, uh, is this all-female act? Yeah, the Mercury Dames. Yeah. Um, I love, is, I love uh, the name. The name's great. It's great. It's a great name. <laughs> well, it's based off of the Mercury Dime. Right. Mercury Dimes. Sure. Were, you know, okay, so that was, a, when was that? They were around in the 30s, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and um, a lot of the music we do is from the 20s and 30s. And, and um, so, yeah, and Dames, you know, right. we call ourselves the Dames for short. But we... Um, we do, we love the Boswell sisters, yeah. and it's, it's, and Andrew's sisters, and then anything with tight, close harmony, three-part harmony, and uh, that's sort of the feature of that band, is, is the harmony singing, 
And we usually dress up, do a little sort of a vintage look. Yeah, that's um, cool. And Lauren Hayworth is in that group, and she plays accordion. And Kat Shaffin plays guitar. And then I play the bass and run the sound. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we all sing. Oh, so. that's, that's super. I, I mean, you're all over the place. I mean, yeah. your your music style. The Mercury games play here and there. We do we do some local boon gigs. We probably we don't play much. We probably play two or three times a year. That's Part cool. Of that is because for the past few years, I have not even been around in the summer. Right. I've been living on Ocracoke right. Island in the summer and playing with Molasses Creek. Um, so I have I haven't been around up in Boone, but uh, now that I'm 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 going to be in Boone full time. Uh, for the next few years, and I think the dames might end up doing a little bit more. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. I mean, your styles are, um, we go from classical to bluegrass to whatever we're calling Aaron to um, uh, <laughs> to 30 style music. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty broad. You know, it is, um, I love it because it keeps me, it keeps me interested. I don't know that I would necessarily get bored if I was just doing one thing. Um, I, I think actually I would. So, I think I know the answer to that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, 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 yeah. I, I've seen your life story right here before my eyes. You would get bored with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love bluegrass, but, you know, playing one yeah. five and some walking notes between three or four chords after, yes. you know. It's, it's fun. great, but it, I get, then I want to do something else. And I love the classical music, but it's so much work. It's a lot of work. I'm, I'm always a little relieved when the season's over, because sure. then I get this little breather where I'm playing folk music, and then I can focus on singing more. Right. So, and then I love jazz. Um, so, you know, the Mercury Dames does sort of vintage vocal jazz. And then Lauren, who I just mentioned, she's in the Mercury Dames. She and I have another group called Delville Rendezvous, and we play, we play with Andy Page, who is the jazz guitar professor at uh, App State, and we do a whole different genre of, nice. of jazz. Um, that's and cool. We've been playing a little bit more lately, and so that that's really fun and challenging, and he's just, Andy is a Meltzer-based guitarist. He's so good, and it's such a pleasure to play with him. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I can't, I can't say too much. I I play just about any style anybody lets me play. Um, so uh, I do understand. I love music. Um, I can find something I like in just about any genre of music. So it's it's music's a wonderful thing, and you seem to have a pretty good grip on it. Uh, I feel well. I feel super super blessed or lucky or whatever. You know, sometimes I. I pinch myself and I'm just, I'm so grateful to be able to do something that I love and I'm so passionate about and I'm not getting rich by any means, but I'm making ends meet uh, at this point and, well, I was before. You, you were, yeah, exactly. canceled for, right. for COVID-19. Yeah. Right now I'm sitting at home wondering <laughs> when, when I'll be working again. Right. Um, but it's, I'm, I'm, this is a great time to woodshed or it is. I have, I agree. Hundreds of unfinished songs. I I'm good at starting songs. I'm not good at finishing them. I it takes someone else like 
sort of cracking the whip to, to make me finish a song or a deadline or something right. like that. So, um, uh, I, I do understand. I mean, I picked up since since this has been going on, and I've been here at home. I've I've been looking through stuff, pictures, different things that that I've done over the years, and there's songs all over this house. I mean, there's box lids, there's there's uh, fast food bags that have parts of songs that I've started, and it's like, oh yeah, I forgot about this one. You know, it's so. Yep. I, I mean, yep. I mean, there are some positive things about this, I guess, and I've taught a ton of musicians here in the last two weeks how to live stream, which is not that hard, but for some reason musicians seem to struggle about figuring out how to do that. You have to protect musicians <laughs> from themselves a bit. You not understand that. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I can count myself among the people that, that struggles with technology. I don't know if I struggle with technology. I just avoid it. I think that's probably the part with every, every musician is we kind of uh, avoid it because there's always a sound man or somebody or a recording studio. Hey man, I know somebody from a recording studio that can fix that right up for you. You know, so we kind of go out of our way not to learn that stuff. Plus, yeah, plus I mean, I do, I do sound for some of my bands, and but yeah, I have to admit it's like my least favorite. Yeah, part. oh yeah. Um, I, li- I like making it sound good, but it's also just I rather not have to haul all that stuff, and that's what the and there's, it's just always something that can go wrong, you know? Also, like, I don't know where, why, why, what's happening here? Um, yeah, I, so I, I, have I this, know a lot of musicians are doing, you know, streaming concerts, and I, I need to do one. I've just been dragging my feet. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I do understand that. And I haven't done them either. I've just helped other people. Uh, and the guys I'm in the band, when are we going to do one? Nah, we're not doing one. I'm going to teach everybody else. Uh, I don't like to see you guys when we're not quarantined, so no, I'm just joking. But um, <laughs> you know, well, I, I finally learned how to use Zoom. I didn't even know Zoom existed right. before last week, but I'm teaching some music lessons that way. I'm taking some yoga classes that way. I might be doing a collaboration concert. I'm not sure which app we're going to use yet, but with my friend Marcy Brenner out on Overcoat. She um, play. She and her husband have the band Coyote, and I think we're. She'll be the first one that'll that'll bring me into the digital age with this uh, well, COVID nineteen uh, self isolation thing. Well, she, you know, she's got a grip on all all the new technology, so that might be the first thing that I end up. Well, I am thinking. I'm thinking we're going to, um, for a while and maybe permanently, see a lot more live streaming than, than I think it's going to become a part of the music industry a little more than it used to be. Uh, whether that's good or bad, I don't know, but um, I, there's nothing like playing live, but there again, um, uh, there's a lot of people, you know, okay, the travel part, the sitting up and tearing down, that's what you charge people to play for, you know, not to do, to, to do the music. So I, I don't know. It's um uh, it may change a little bit. I would rather go well, play. Well, the music industry is sort of, it's constantly changing. It is. With technology, you know, it's um, the disappearance of, of the C- sale of CDs and, oh, and records yeah. was a, a thing everybody had to adapt to. I, I, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. There's something absolutely irreplaceable, though, about, about live music. There's so nothing like it. I have it. a feeling... 
I I I'm and I'm hoping you're right. I, you know, I I believe that you are. I can't I can't see. I mean, I've heard people say, "Well, heck yeah, I can get a front row seat, pay half the concert price, and see you guys do it live, and not have to leave home, and can drink, and don't have to worry about an Uber." You know, a lot of things like that. But but and we're probably not going to do it as well as we would if you came to see us live. I mean, you know, three people would clap instead of. Uh, none so I don't know it's uh it's a different also I, I see musicians I guess musicians are going to get stimulus checks I saw where uh, guitar players aren't going to get one. Oh yeah that's that's an interesting question um I know that this, this is unprecedented I guess uh, yeah, it is well, I'm, I'm sure it is for, for a lot of folks that are alive now um I've never seen anything like this in the United States so uh, I guess we'll, everybody will be receiving some sort of assistance from the federal government. I do know that um, as of recently, or the last couple of days, um, you know, most musicians are independent contractors. And, True. and we don't have unemployment right. insurance, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. It's, um, and we were probably some of the first, if I had to guess, it seems like the first industry to go was, yeah. I think it was. The yeah, I think it was about the first thing. That in sporting events just disappeared fast. Yeah, sporting events, right. Yep. Well, um, uh, the reason guitar players aren't getting one is because you know what they'll do with the money. They'll just go buy a guitar. You know? <laughs> it's true. And then uh, I'm, I'm starting, well, I don't, it's, it's a two upright bass collection right now, but I... If I had a larger house, it might grow to, to three or four. <laughs> I know. I mean, if I go to Bob's, I see three I want down there every time I go. So, uh, yeah. Which, which. I'm, I'm holding steady at two guitars at, at the moment. I've got a Dreadnought Martin, and then I've got um, an orchestra model that uh, my friend Gerald Hampton made. He's, um, he's in Franklinville, North Carolina, and he's a, a luthier, and he makes some really, really fabulous guitars. So I've got one that, that he made for me. My house is so full of guitars and fiddles and mandolins and just about any other musical instrument you can think of. I'm probably, my net worth is is more than my true value, I think, through my instruments. But you know, <laughs> I'm an old guy and I've had a long time to collect, I guess. So... Uh, and I don't want to. I don't want to part with them. But if I get this and die, I'm sure they'll all be sold off for not the correct prices. So <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, and I used to. I had this theory one time about where I was going to put my ashes when I get. I'm going to get cremated. I was going to put them in the sound holes of my instruments till somebody said. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> but since somebody pointed out to me. Yeah, and they'll go flying everywhere when the first guitar player drops a pick in the sound hole, you know. So, <laughs> so maybe it'll go. Maybe it'll go in the f holes of the upright bass. So I don't. I don't know. You have to distribute them through a lot of instruments, or it might dampen the sound. True. Bit. This is true. It, it, I would think that just well, you know, a, instead of a just inst a little bit in each instrument sure. seems, seems doable. I think. I think it is, and I'm. I was thinking that particularly with fiddles. Uh, I mean, he put rattlesnake tails in fiddles, so um, uh, a little bit of 
my ashes shouldn't hurt anything. And maybe somebody will, out of all of them, maybe one song will come out of it and I'd just be tickled to death in whatever eternal place I'm at. Yeah, I think that's a pretty clever idea. I like that. <laughs> well, we'll see. I mean, I won't know. I don't guess. So, uh, well, make sure you stay indoors and uh, don't shake hands with anybody. Yeah, we're not dealing with your ashes here. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not hoping this happens anytime soon. I, I, even though I'm old, I have a lot of stuff I still want to do. So, uh, well, Kim, I tell you what, this has been. Have we missed anything? Is there anything else I need to know about your story? Um, well, no, I don't know. I, I just want to mention, you, you asked me about sort of the history of coming to music. I did end up, yeah. uh, at, at one point, in my, mm, when did I okay. graduate? I went back to school at App State, so I did yeah. get a, uh, a degree in uh, music um, business and recording, so I was a music industry studies major, so App State was, was great in helping me on my way to playing more classical music and right. getting more familiar with jazz. And then um, Molasses Creek, I have to give them a shout out. Um, I've been playing in Molasses Creek for five and a half, six years now, and uh, Alan Ogrecoke Island, and that's just a, a great band, great people to work with, and uh, very, very tightly arranged and, and, and sculpted songs, and um, a really well thought out stage performance as well so that's been that's been great and even though I'm, I'm not going to be living on Ocracoke again next summer I'm going to continue to to play with them Travel as often as possible yeah. well now so are you open um, are you open for jobs these days I mean after this breaks or are you your palate too full well you know what I have a habit of saying uh, yes to almost everything <laughs> <laughs> which is might be the reason I'm driving all over the state all the time and sometimes find myself feeling a little harebrained. Um, but, you know, I had um, I had a, a friend, a colleague from App State, a uh, retired colleague from App State, call me after he saw us on WNCW and he wanted to do, to do some recording and some arranging. So I said yes to that. And I, it's all little things I say yes to keep me busy. And sometimes I end up realizing I've said yes to too much. But oh, yeah. it's... It's my tendency to go ahead and say, sure. Well, now. <laughs> if I got time, let's do it. Are you doing studio work also? Are you getting. Uh, yeah. are, are you getting to do much studio work? Um, so, I mean, not like not as a session player. Or right. Anything, yeah, that's but, what um, I was wondering. As a session yes, player. Yes, but with, with Aaron. Right. Aaron, um, that's something to mention, actually. Aaron um, Burdett has. Well, his song Rockefeller, at yeah. one point, I don't know, this was weeks ago, it was the most requested song on, I think it was XN Radio or Sirius. Yeah. It's a great like song. I love um, it. Yeah. On the Bluegrass Station. So right. that's pretty big news. But he's still cranking out songs. And we're going to be recording um, a handful more. We're doing them in, in these different chunks and then releasing, sure, that's releasing the... one at a time. Yeah, that's um, the way. And then that's eventually it. all those will be an album. So yeah. that's some studio work that I'm yeah. doing. And then Molasses Creek is, I mean, I've been on three recordings with them. I do, I end up on a lot of recordings. That's yeah. good. That's so a good thing. Over man. the years, various, I have them all lined up in a drawer somewhere. Um, like there's just, there's a crazy amount of stuff that I've even forgotten I've done. Um, uh, as 
far as playing bass or singing harmony on, on people's recordings. So I do. I get to do studio stuff. It's some yeah. of the, that's some of the most fun. Oh, it's a lot of fun. I, I actually really enjoy it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I agree. It, it is a lot of fun. Aaron's been on the same record label for a pretty good while, too, hasn't he? I think so. Yeah, yeah organic records. Yeah, organic. Yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I wanted to make sure you probably gave them a plug here too. So, um, all right. What else do we need to know? <laughs> um, what else do we need to know? Ah, that's. I guess that's it for now. If that's, I get to the point where I finally, finally put out a solo album, which I keep saying I'm going to do, I was going to ask um, you about that. You'll you'll be the first to know. Um. I have a, I have songs that I've written in the past that um, I'd like to arrange or fine tune. Some that I'd like to re-record, but then I also have a, a lot of songs that have never seen the light of day. And I think for me, number one, I'm so busy playing other people's music right. and working on other projects that mine gets shoved to the back burner. But also, um, I haven't really made a decision about which, if I release yeah. a solo album, what genre is it going to be, no. you know? <laughs> and uh, just trying to determine the arc of a solo album. Like, should I try to focus more on some, some jazzy tunes or right. or stick with the Americana? So basically, I haven't, it's a big blank slate right now and <laughs> I, with a big question mark on it. But um, well, good. hopefully, we'll look. hopefully yeah. that'll, that'll happen. <laughs> Well, we'll be looking forward to that. Well, I do. I know that. I know that you're a busy person, and I do uh, appreciate you uh, taking the time to do this. So you know, I appreciate you asking me to do it. This has been so enjoyable talking with you. And if it hadn't been for you know quarantine, sure, it would have been, been harder for me to make the time. So there's a lot of blessings for this uh, this downtime we've all got right now. True, there is a lot to it. Well, I do thank you for yep. coming on. Well, thank you so much, and I look forward to seeing you here in the future. Okay. Maybe thank- up at the Earl Scruggs Center. Sure, I hope so. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Take care. All right. Hey, Kim, you still on the phone? Yeah. One, two, one, two, three, four.